Welcome to episode 56 of the Hail Married podcast. I'm A. Toves, and I'm joined by my husband, the Toves. We're excited to be back talking about another much-hyped season of UTSA Roadrunner football. Let's get started. Coming off a second conference championship with much of our roster still intact, there's a lot to be excited about this season, and there's a lot of people that are really hyped about this season. I mean, even predicting UTSA to be the top program in G5. In a lot of ways, this season kind of feels like the last dance for Trailer, Frank, Rashad, Josh, and JT. You know, one of the big questions is, can we go for a three-peat while entering our new conference? There's certainly a lot of hype, as you said, but I think there's a lot of optimism too. And so let's dive into that optimism by starting out with the offense. Obviously, we have plenty of returning starters, mm-hmm. you know, Frank, <laughs> like we need to talk about him, right? Right. <laughs> Frank, we've got, you know, Oscar, we have JT, Josh, as you kind of mentioned them before. We have some key additions here. Um, we have Vanderbilt running back transfer Rocco Griffin. We have a couple of, a few offensive linemen in uh, Juco transfer Buffalo Cruz. We have Daniel Ogendipe, who is also a Juco guy, and another Juco guy in Corey Godinette. In terms of wide receivers, we've got a freshman in David Amador, wide receiver in Willie McCoy, who's a Juco, and Devin McCune, who I think I'm saying his name correctly, is another freshman that is coming in. And finally, but certainly not least, we do have a quarterback that has entered the fray in redshirt freshman Owen McCown, who's a transfer from Colorado. We'll still name a few other guys here in just a second, but let me ask you this. What position group are you most excited about on the offense? Well, outside of talking about Frank, because, again, you can set that aside, right? (laughs) Honestly, I'm very excited about the running back group this year. In the past, that's been a big question mark in previous seasons. But, you know, last year towards the end of the season, we really saw Kavorian Barnes develop quite a bit. I think he's really poised to have a breakout season this year. And then when you add to that Rocco Griffin, who you know really did a great job when he was at Vanderbilt, seems like he's going to be able to come in and just contribute right away. We have Kedrick Cobbs, who's returning from injury, um, who's you know been with the system for a while. Excited to see him finally get out on the field and have hopefully his time. Um, and then you've got a couple of other additions. Um, and Brandon High, who's coming in from high school, seemed very fast when we saw him in the spring. Yep. Um, and then Robert Henry, who's a JUCO transfer. He had some injuries earlier this se- uh, in the spring season, so hopefully he's healthy. But again, I think they've added a lot of really key parts to that room. A lot of infusion of talent. And honestly, looking back at last season, you kind of mentioned it. You had Kavorian kind of... Jump out of nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. The thing was is that we thought we had some depth filled with Brendan Brady coming back, right? But, you know, everybody started falling apart before we knew it. We were really down to just one running back, Kavorian, at the end of the season. Uh, and even he was banged up. So you almost <laughs> you almost really were at the point of having no running backs. And right. uh, to see them infuse this team with more talent throughout the team, but especially in the running back room, yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, Brandon Hyde. thought he looked really good in the spring practice we went to. And you also mentioned Robert Henry, another guy that I think looks good. 
But at, I think at the very least, it to me, it does look like it's an exciting group because of that depth. For me, though, I'm most excited about the wide receivers. I know it's been, you know, the big three over the last two seasons. You know, it's there have been the constant out there. But with Zakari moving on, it opens up a slot for somebody else to move in. Chris Carpenter right now is the first name that comes to mind, right? Um, you also have Tyke Kellogg, who's still around. Mentioned the three wide receivers earlier. Few other guys out there like Jace Wilson that are on the roster. Someone has an opportunity to go and take this position by the hand and go with it. And honestly, for me, the reason I'm excited is because how do these guys work with Frank? Frank being a veteran quarterback at this point, I feel like he should be able to elevate a lot of these young guys, make them feel comfortable in the wide receiver slot. And honestly, Frank's been here since before Coker was here, right? So, like, I mean, he should, it would stand to reason that a veteran quarterback, which is what you want in college and NFL, someone like that really helps your offense. Yeah, and for a lot of those reasons, I'm actually a little nervous about the wide receiver room because, again, we've had Cephas and JT consistent, not worried about them when they're both on the field, but my concern is JT hasn't been cleared yet to play. He may get held out even after he gets cleared to play just to make sure that he really is ready and available for conference play. And then that puts a lot of pressure on Josh Cephas, who we know he has the talent level to step up and be the number one wide receiver. But you also have to remember he's got this looming legal issue in the background, and that's enough to put a lot of distraction and you know pressure on anyone um, and so I'm just concerned that that in the background you know may be something that keeps him from really being able to focus on the field and if that's the case as you mentioned before we really haven't had a lot of rotation for the wide receivers so who is it that really steps up you know Chris Carpenter feel pretty good about Ty Key has just been inconsistent I True. watched the, U, uh, the UTEP highlights recently, and that was a game where Tyke looked great, and you saw really that potential in him, but you didn't see that in the bowl game and some other times where he had the opportunity to shine. And then really for us to start talking about freshmen is just a little bit concerning to me that, you know, again, are they going to be able to step up? Are they going to have that connection with Frank? It may just mean that we put more you know, tight ends on the field and we go to more 12-man personnel. Obviously, we've got, you know, two great um, receivers there in uh, Dan Dishman and in Oscar Cardenas. So may not be that big of an issue, but some of the things you're excited about are question marks for me. Okay, that's fair enough. I would say for me, the, the one group that I'm concerned about is the offensive line. Uh, it has not stayed healthy or fully healthy, I would say, over the last couple seasons. You could even make a case of going back all the way to 2020. Essentially, every single season the trailer's been here. Right. They've still made things work. Um, they've figured out solutions on some of these crucial issues. And, you know, that's not nothing, right? Like, that that's something that should be lauded. But at some point, you start looking at it and saying, well, what are we doing? Are we just going to be just patching and putting a Band-Aid over this the entire time? Or do we find offensive linemen that fit our offensive person? personnel slash system. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's been sort of the problem 
I think we have some big hogs, but I don't know that, at least from what we've seen from this offense, that that necessarily fits that. You know, is a 300-pound guy really a guy you want to have on the offensive line in this type of quick offense, or do you want maybe a guy under 300 that's in a little better shape that can stay with the pace? It's not to say that I don't think that this offensive line hasn't stayed pace mm-hmm. with, you know, in, in the previous seasons here. But it also leads to more injuries. Right. And that's why we, I think, we have seen a lot of issues. Now, they have sort of addressed this with infusing this team with some, you know, more depth, talent on the offensive line. But again, <laughs> last season, we didn't think Frankie Martinez of walk-on was going to be a, seeing the field at all, right? Maybe seeing the field against Texas Southern, maybe some other blowouts. Right. Um, he ends up becoming a starter because we start just losing offensive linemen within the first few games. So, yeah, I, I, I've got concerns. I, I, you know, based on what we've seen before, <laughs> I think we still have injury issues. But we'll see. Well, I yeah. mean, again, we'll, we'll see how the, the season goes out. I'm, I'd be happy to be wrong about this and come back at the end of the season and go, oh, yeah, totally blew it on the offensive line. But, you know, you just, you just don't know, especially just knowing what we know from 21 and 22, I think it's fair to say I'm concerned there. Yeah, I mean, the good news is we made it through fall camp without any injuries. I mean, last season, we had started to lose offensive linemen in fall camp. Right. So, you know, at least we're, we're a little bit further ahead of the game. You know, of course, anytime you see a change with your center, too, that can always be an issue because you really need to have that chemistry between your center and your quarterback. Right. The thing that makes me hopeful in that scenario is the fact that, you know, Frank has had to adjust to different centers throughout his playing career. I mean, there were times where Maka got hurt and Kevin Davis would have to come in and there was always kind of that, you know, couple of snaps where they were a little high. So I think Frank is used to having to adjust um, and so hopefully that really isn't a big issue for him. Speaking of Frank then, who's his backup? Yeah, I mean, that that is the question. You know, what happens if Frank gets injured Um, what does that look like? I mean, from all accounts, there's this very tight battle for QB2 between Eddie Lee Marburger and Owen McCown, which in some ways I think is kind of interesting, right? I mean, you would expect Eddie Lee now being here for, what, three seasons? Should be that very clear number two, even with Owen, you know, having come in with some playing experience. But... That doesn't seem to be the case. It seems that there's this very tight battle between the two. But then again, last year we heard there was this very tight battle between Eddie and Cam Peters, and Cam Peters isn't here anymore. Yeah, you know, um, I think you, I think you hit it on the head here. I mean, you ha- you do have a quarterback that's been here now about three seasons. You have another quarterback that comes in who's pretty talented and has only been here for about you know, almost eight months now. There really should be a bigger disparity in terms of grasping the offense, in terms of grasping, you know. Uh, offensive concepts, passing abilities. While I understand where you're going with it, I will say there's a much bigger talent disparity between Owen and Cam Peters. There were things that Cam really couldn't do. But yet, what we heard coming out of camp was that it was a really tight battle between Cam and Eddie Lee. I mean, that was what we were led to believe, right? Correct, correct. And I think that that is why I'm willing to throw out there I think Owen is truly the number two. I'll make the case real quick. First of all, he's left-handed, just like Frank. There's no offensive shift at all. 
still a left-handed quarterback, right? That's mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about protections going a different way because Eddie Lee is right-handed. You'd have to change your guards. And yeah, your you'd rivals, have to yeah. you'd have to change some things on the offensive line. Other thing is, from what I saw from Owen, what we saw from the spring game and then from one of the spring practices that we went to, Owen McCown was throwing a really good ball. Eddie Lee, not to say that he doesn't have that talent, but the ball didn't seem to come out as crisply as it did out of Owen. Owen was putting in a lot of great spots for these wide receivers, and it just didn't seem to be the same with Eddie Lee. Eddie Lee wasn't putting in the, those spots. And there's nothing wrong with you know saying that you have a newcomer come in and all of a sudden they're more talented, they're going to get that shot, because that's exactly what you want from this UTSA team to continue to evolve, to infuse a team with more talent. And that leads to some more battles in, in camp, right? And that gets the best players out on the field to take on opponents, right? So to me, I just, I know I'm only given two reasons, but I feel like there's just other intangibles that I see in Owen from the practice, from you know some film, from the spring game. That just tells me that. If you're putting an or there, Owen's got to be the guy. I mean, there really should not be this grand... There should be a greater disparity as we started talking about already. So, any other thoughts there? I mean, obviously, I think Frank... Frank is going to get a little pressure from both of these guys, mostly because they might be able to do a little bit something that he can't. But let's be honest, they're not unseating him. So, yeah, yeah, there might be some things they tailor towards... Owen or Eddie Lee, if they have to come in to mop up, you know, after Frank has destroyed some other team, right? But for the most part, I they're not going to push Frank for the starter job. Yeah, no, I do anticipate those seeing an or on the depth chart. Even if there was a clear number two, I think Trailer would just put the or there either way. Yeah, um, yeah, that's fair. The other question, I think, when we look at the offense is... You know, again, we have a new offensive coordinator going into the season. Burke did get play calling duties um, when we had the bowl game last season. So we've seen him a little bit in that role. But, you know, do we think there's going to be any play calling change or adjustments under Burke this season? Well, we've heard a lot, again, about, well, there's only going to be a few tweaks. Your concern with the wide receivers just means, as you mentioned, you're going to have two tight end sets, right? You're going to go to 12 personnel. Hey, we've heard that before. We heard that year last year, heard that the year before. It's it's always been this, I think he really likes 12 personnel. I mean, and that's fine with trailer. Like, if trailer, that's what he wants, let's just make it clear, right? <laughs> but the problem is, is that he's also infused his team with a lot of wide receivers. So how does Burke get Frank Harris comfortable in the game plans? Is there... Is he, is he really just taking Frank's, uh, I, I want to say advice or just notes and say, look, you know, this is what I feel comfortable with, coach. This is what I want to do. I, I think, obviously, Frank's at that level, so you've got to listen to him. Um, but I think the one thing I'm really looking forward to seeing from Justin Burke is how are you going to handle the running backs? Because I, there's a lot of potential there. But you don't want to wear down Kavorian, right? Like right. that to me is a is a big question mark. Like yes, he is. I think the undisputed number one, much like Frank is, right? But how do you handle that? Because I just don't. 
I don't know that you can run him into the ground. Yeah, I don't see Kavorian being the workhorse running back the way that Sincere was, um, unless we end up in a situation where there's just a lot of injuries or something, we have to do that. Yeah, and that's fair. And I just, I, I mean, again, looking at the play calling, I, I don't think that, you know, going to 12 personnel changes that much. I mean, you'll just have your tight ends go out in to receive a little bit more. Um, but even then, I don't think Oscar Cardenas should be coming off the field. <laughs> right. I mean, I know he's going to get a break every now and then. Um, this is nothing against Dan Dishman whatsoever, but Oscar Cardenas being essentially an extra lineman slash extra really wide receiver. I, <laughs> we can go back and forth about how big he is and, you know, just the fact that as, you know, he shouldn't be having as good a hands for a big man. The fact is, he's got just as good a hands as any wide receiver. Right. So let's call him what he is. A really large wide receiver, right? Playing tight end in a mm-hmm. tight end's body, right? So, you know, I think if he can get Oscar a little more involved in the offense, I think that really works. But again, we won't know until until we get to Labor Day weekend and we're in TDECU Stadium against Houston. That's when we'll know what are those little changes. All right. Let's go to the other side of the ball, the defense. Key additions here are Will Linebacker, Nana, and Yanwu. I'm sure I just butchered that name, but you, uh, I apologize. Juco transfer coming in here. Um, we have another inside linebacker in Rodney Gross, another Juco. We have Darren Allman, a transfer. We did get some safety help in Elliot Davison out of UIW. We got a cornerback, Cam Alexander, another transfer. Plenty of guys, again. Much like the offense, we're infusing with a little bit more talent. It doesn't feel, though, just that we've done much like the offense, where you felt like there was this kind of infusion, right? It, well, we got some more depth. I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the strength of the defense, it's really going to be the defensive line. Really only lost one starter in McDougal from that group. Um, and the guys that are back all have experience. So you really didn't see a lot of additions, if you will, to that team uh, or to that position group, you know, simply because, again, we've, we've got Brandon Matterson, Brandon Brown, Trumaine Bell. I'm probably missing like 10 people, Joe Evans. I mean, we really have some very strong guys on the defensive line. So I think that group um, is going to be pretty solid. Um, and then again, you know, some of these additions, I think the one that stands out the most to me, though, is, is Cam Alexander. Everything that people have been saying about him is that he's just this absolute ball hawk. He came from Sam Houston State. Kind of interested to see really, you know, how he does, because I think the secondary has always been an area that has been an area of concern. Um, and to have somebody who you know, we've heard such great things about come in and play opposite Nick Troy Fortune. I think that could really be um, an exciting addition to that group. All right. So then which group are you really excited about? You've named a few few groups. So which one is your number one? Oh, I think the line for sure. Just because, um, again, we have so many returners and I really don't feel like we have a lot of question marks. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to agree with you there. I I think... I like the big boys up front. Only thing I think I would I would note there is I hope they're just a little bit more disciplined. Right. I say that in terms of 
fulfilling, you know, their gap assignments. Uh, you know, this having three down linemen, what you really want is these big guys holding up the offensive linemen so that you can get linebackers shooting in to make plays, right? So um, I think sometimes they get a little bit, um, a little bit undisciplined to make a big play. But again, a tons of talent. You were talking about one person, you know, you probably missed a bunch of one, Chucky. Oh, you know, yeah. Nick Booker Brown obviously yeah. is a guy that really stands out to me. I, it's it would be tough just to look at that group and say, okay, who could be a breakout from those guys? Because honestly, you take any one of them being a break, like every single one of them is just incredibly talented. So let's move then to which position group concerns you the most. You know, honestly, I'm I'm still a little concerned about linebacker, and particularly who is going to replace. Trevor Harmonson. There's been a couple of different names that have sort of been thrown around, but I don't know that we've heard a lot through camp of like, this is that inside linebacker who's going to be able to play right next to Jamal, and we're going to feel just really, really strongly about. Yeah, I mean, I would have expected to hear Avery Morris's name thrown out there a lot more. I think that he's probably the guy, but you know, honestly, this is a that's a group that you could also make the case of saying we could feel our way through the first four games, find out who's the guy, and then make sure we we're ready with them come, uh, you know, opening up AAC play against Temple, right? Um, but for me, I think the one I'm most concerned about is is the safeties. Uh, Rashad went down last year. We were lucky enough to have some depth there in terms of having Ken Robinson, your boy Kalechi. Mm-hmm. But then we lose Clifford Chapman this year, and now we've had to bring in some more safety. Now, who's the one that's going to be starting opposite um, Rashad, right? And can we keep Rashad healthy this year, right? So there's, to me, still some question marks. Plus, you know, I don't feel like we've ever really recruited the safeties all that well. Like, we've gotten some corners, you know, we've gotten some linebackers. Obviously, we've done well on the defensive line, as we already talked about. But the safeties always seem to be this like one area on the team where we aren't infusing that with young talent. It feels like it's just we kind of scrape through and get a couple of transfers, maybe get, you know, get somebody, you know, pick someone off the portal. But I, I think it needs an infusion of young talent in there. So that's the one that concerns me. You know, I, I think this season and then just long term. Well, I was going to say, if, if- Probably concerns me more for next season because you're going to lose Rashad, Kalechi, and Ken Robinson. And I'm not sure if Elliot has another year of eligibility or if this is his last year of eligibility. And yet, to your point, we really haven't heard a lot about that young talent that's coming into the safety position. Right. And that and this is the year that I think you'd like to see that young talent because, you know, as you already mentioned, to start off this whole, you know, part of the pod is... Is this the last dance, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, you'd want to at least think that we're building towards the future. And I think there's a plenty of other position groups where that's the case. This one just feels barren to me. Let's move over to special teams now. Two returning starters. We have a key addition in kicker Chase Allen. So transfer from Alabama. I, I'm having a little problem putting this into word because I know, I know that you have strong feelings towards special teams, mostly because another team that's close to your heart, Iowa State, has gone without special teams co- a coordinator. You've kind of, I think, already gone off on this quite a few times. 
Right. But I'm still going to give you the floor to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> because I think you've got some concerns. <laughs> I think special teams is going to be our Achilles heel this year. And, you know, hopefully it turns out to be good. Um, but I think there really is the biggest question mark of our team right here. One, because we don't have a special teams coordinator. We're going to have the special teams by committee, which we've heard that they've kind of done in the past. So we'll see how successful that is. Again, I'm biased against it because I've seen Iowa State do this for years and their special teams has always been the weakest part of their team and has cost them close games in the past. They, this year, are finally going to have a special teams coordinator, so we'll be interested to see how that works for them. But, you know, the other pieces, we've lost Jared Sackett. You know, if you go back and look through the history books, you see Hunter Duplessis and Jared Sackett you know, back-to-back on all of these different, um, you know, lists. So it's a big shoes to fill to replace Jared Sackett. Um, Tate Sandell, I think, is great, but we don't really know what he looks like in terms of field goal kicking because he's really just done kickoffs. Um, Chase Allen is coming from Alabama, although I don't think he really had a lot of playing time in Alabama, so we don't really know you know, exactly how strong of a leg he has. And then you throw in the fact that we have a new long snapper for punting. We do have a returner and long snapper for on our field goal. So now he's going to have to do both field goal and punting, I'm assuming. Um, oh, Kate Cullen back. Yeah, so I just think there's a lot of question marks here. And with so many new faces, you know, outside of Lucas Dean, it, it just makes me wonder if they're going to get the attention that they really need. What I think is going to be interesting is, does Chris Carpenter stay at return, yeah. as a returner? I'd imagine so. I don't think you should be putting, especially, you shouldn't be putting Cephas out there. I think that's a silly thing to do, especially if you found it's, somebody already that can do that job and do it at a high level and bring speed to that position, which I think was sorely needed um, right. for the longest time in you, you know UTSA history. I'm going to be interested in the kickoff for Turner. Who's going to be that partner to Chris Carpenter? Right. I think you stick Chris Carpenter out there both on punts and kicks just because you want that threat of speed. He broke one against Texas Southern last season mm-hmm. uh, on a kickoff return. First one in UTSA history. That's why you need Chris Carpenter touching the ball, right? And that's yeah. why you get some enthusiasm on the offensive end. But in terms of returning kicks, this is what you need. A guy that can make a couple moves, make a, you know, and challenge the punt coverage team or the kickoff return team into filling their lanes and staying disciplined or else Chris is going to take it to the house. Yeah, and typically on a team you would see a running back in in that role and we just haven't had the luxury of being able to put a running back in that role for the last couple of seasons really since BJ Daniels left because we haven't had enough depth to do that. Well, and with this, again, going back to the depth we have on wide receiver and on running back, it would be interesting to see either a young guy or more of a vet go out there and have really two great game breakers on, you know, kickoff mm-hmm. return. It's it's exciting to me. And, and I get that there's no special teams coordinator, but what's exciting to me is the fact that you can actually say UTSA has some game breakers. Like, that hasn't really felt like it's been the thing. Right. Um, you know, for the longest time. Or ever. Uh, if sure. we're being honest. So... I think I think you're right in being concerned in terms of not having the coordinator and having some questions in terms of kicker. 
But I think as the season goes on, I think we're going to solve that. I feel that Tate's going to be fine. I know he's your boy. I know you really like him. I know you're pulling for him. I think we're all pulling for him because if he can be as consistent, I know he's probably going to have a couple of issues here or there, but if he can be consistent, it's just going to strengthen this team just that much more. Should we talk single digits? Sure. Let's talk about some of our new additions there. Um, On the offensive side, Kavorian Barnes um, is going to be wearing number four this season. Um, Ernesto Almaraz um, also was named a single digit, but obviously offensive linemen can't um, have the single digit. Uh, Nick Troy Fortune, or sorry, um, Nick Troy Fortune is keeping number four. Uh, Trey Moore is now um, going to be wearing number one. So first time in a single digit and he gets one of the 210 numbers. So that's really exciting. Uh, Joe Evans at number five. Um, Donnie Taylor is going to be replacing his brother at number seven, and Brandon Brown is moving from nine to two. So, still a single digit, but this time in the two one zero. Kind of cool though to see, you know, Donnie taking over for his brother. I mean, I know that this the single digits can seem hokey. They can, you know, it's a cool thing for the team, right? But. I also have to just say, on a kind of a side story, how cool is it to give that number or your your younger brother take over for you yeah. and that number that that's got to be kind of it kind of gets you a little bit in the roadrunner feels because that right. that has to be a special thing. Absolutely. All right, we've gotten to the one segment that's always fun to do: preseason, after the season, in the spring. I, I I just love this segment because we get the chance at every possible way when after we preview something to say, what did we get wrong, right, after the season? So um, we're going to be doing our way too early predictions um, game by game. We did it in the spring. Atoves was at 9-3. and three. Mm-hmm. I was at 8-4. and four. Both of us said we weren't making the – UTSA wasn't making the championship game. Mm-hmm. I said I think that we were going to lose the bowl game. I think you said you thought they were going to win the bowl game. Mm-hmm. Now we've got more data that says, as you mentioned before, the win total for UTSA is 8.5 on the betting sites. UTSA is picked second in AAC. I just want to bring up this fact. From the last six seasons of AAC play, the number two preseason pick has made Four out of the six championship games, the number one seed has made two. And specifically in the last couple seasons, Tulane was number seven last season in the preseason. Uh, Cincinnati won 2021, but Houston was a number four seed. And then back in 2020, I get it was COVID, but number nine, Tulsa, what happened to them? Yeah. Made the championship game. So, preseason stuff is cool to do, but looking back at how wrong some of these, you know, how how wrong it's been, and then how many surprises have come from the AAC, pretty much tells you that um, this is really going to be sort of an, a wide-open race. I think it's going to be within the top five, six teams that could challenge. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Like, uh, you know, could be totally wrong. So let's start off. Anything you want to say right before we get into the game by game? I will say that my record 
is going to stay the same, but my games are going to change, so. All right. I'll say this, and I'll tease this. I drank the juice. You did. <laughs> I drank the juice big time. Um, mine changed for the better. All right. A game that's coming up, Houston. Yeah, we're, we'll obviously get into the Houston preview um, later on, but, you know, I see this as a win. Houston lost a lot of key starters on offense and defense. They reloaded with a lot of P5 transfers. I think it's likely that they haven't all gelled yet, so UTSA has to take advantage of that. It's a 50-50 game, but I see this as a win because I think that we can come together as a unit better than Houston can. 1-0 at TDECU Stadium. I said back in spring, and I'll say it again. UTSA always starts out a season strong in the trailer era. They came out, got a little iffy, but it was COVID against Texas State, but they won. Came out, beat Illinois. Last season, did lose to Houston, but man, they came out and they really took it to Houston. They pulled every punch they could. We go to 2-0 at TDECU Stadium. It's a close win, but it's a win for UTSA. Now on to Texas State, the home opener. Yeah, I see this as a win. Um, you know, Texas State obviously has a lot of excitement with their new coach coming in. But again, rebuilding the roster. G.J. Kenny's brought a lot of guys up from FCS. Um, so I think that maybe next year this is going to be a much closer game, but I see this as a solid win. This ain't UIW. This ain't the Southland. Um, but I still think it's going to be a close game because of the fact that, um, you know, UTSA, I think, is going to come with a, come with a lot of juice. Um, and I think sometimes, like I said before, they get a little undisciplined. Um, there's good. It's going to be a great crowd. I think Texas State is bringing quite a few alumni to the game, a lot of fans, uh, casual Texas State fans. So it's going to be a fun environment regardless. But... Uh, yeah, I, I still think it's going to be a close win from uh, from UTSA. All right, that gets us to Army, a home game on a Friday night. Yeah, you know, I think we should never underestimate Army. Um, there's a lot of talk about the fact that they are changing up their offensive scheme. They're moving away from the triple option to shotgun, but it's still going to look like the triple option. Um, if anybody's curious about what that looks like, you know, go back and watch what Navy did last week. Um, they're still going to be working out some kinks, but they are a very tough team, although I think we're going to pull out the win. I got it as a win, too. I watched um, Navy play Notre Dame, and if and I know that Army and Navy are different, and I'm sure they hate the fact that I'm about to compare them, if, they, exactly. if anybody, if any of those fans are listening. But um, I see the struggles. Um, I wasn't at first buying those struggles. Um, I thought Army was... Um, probably going to come in much stronger, but I saw how Navy struggled as they have implemented some, you know, wrinkles into their offense. Um, I, yeah, I changed it. This was a loss in the spring. Now it's a win, um, and I think it's going to be a comfortable win. I'm going to say it's going to be at least a ten point win. So we are now both three and zero UTSA as we head to Knoxville. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is you if you listen to some people talk about the Tennessee game, they see this as a potential trap game for Tennessee. Um, frankly, I think we're going to need Tennessee to view this as a trap game for us, um, 
to really make it a competitive game, there's just a huge talent disparity between Tennessee and us. They could even be ranked um, a top 10 team. So I have this as a loss. Um, I'm hoping that, that we keep it competitive um, and that we stay out healthy, or get out of the game healthy. We're going to be at this game. I'm going up there just to take in Rocky Top in Knoxville. Uh, sounds like a great environment. I think it's going to be a loss. I don't think it's going to be as close as we think it's, you know, a lot of people think it is. Um, you know, I get the talent disparity talk and all of that, but what it really comes down to is this highly ranked team against UTSA. We've struggled just with teams that are ranked close to us. So, um, you know, getting out of this game healthy again. We talked about this last year with Texas, you know, playing again at a UT again, right, uh, for a second straight season. Um, I just don't see it being close. I think Tennessee really pulls away, if not by the end of the second quarter, going into the third, and hopefully we just get to go see some, you know, Owen McCown or Eddie Lee or both in the second half and get them some snaps in a big game environment. All right. This means that we start... AAC play mm-hmm. in Philly, Temple. Yeah, Temple is in year two of a rebuild. Their quarterback is improving, but had a lot of serious turnover issues last season. You know, I know this is going to be a gauge for how we do in the American Conference, but I think we're going to be fine. I think we're going to win this comfortably. Temple is uh, picked low. Quite low in the <laughs> in the uh, preseason poll. Um, nobody that's picked in the teens comes back and has this fantastic season and you know wins. Um, it's not CUSA, right? So um, this is a even though they're a bottom tier team, Temple is still I think a much stronger team than the UTEPs than the La Techs that we faced last year. So. I think it's going to be a win, but I think it's a close win. I think it's going to be a barometer for AAC to figure out what they're like. Um, and I think that gives us a better gauge as to how we go on into the season. With that, we get our AAC opener, uh, conference opener at home, UAB. Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't know what to make of UAB. Um, <laughs> I'm not optimistic about <laughs> Dilfer and his staff. Um, <laughs> Zeno's returning as quarterback. You know, we struggled against him last year, but I I think we're going to win this. It's not going to be the UAB of the past. I'm just, I'm not bullish on Dilfer. Certainly some chaos around Trent there. Um, a lot of braggadocio. <laughs> um, there's, you know, the, a certain cocky quality to it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably saying the same thing, but I don't care. I'm throwing out whatever I can to try to describe him. Um what I do love about him, though, is that passion. He's putting his passion for UAB, or at least he states it in a different way that Trailer does. It's mm-hmm. very similar. To, he's very similar to Trailer. So um, the problem is that I think that there's a lot of, like I mentioned, chaos and uncertainties by some of his coaching hires. So uh, I'm going to say a win. Uh, I'm not going to say it's, you know, comfortable or anything. I just feel right now it's just a solid win. Um, let's get it taken away. Let's get it go 2-0 and in conference, um, which takes us to FAU. Yeah, I have this as a loss. 
FAU, I think, is going to be tougher than what people expect. You know, they're picked somewhere around fourth or fifth in the AAC this year. And I think they could be that dark horse that competes for a championship. Um, Tom Herman is obviously a very good coach. Um, he just wasn't good enough for Texas. Um, and he's bringing in Casey Thompson, who I think is going to play very well in the American Conference. We have struggled in Florida. We've never beat FAU. And I think this is going to be that game that we should win, but we won't. I had this as a loss in the spring. Mm -hmm. I've changed my mind. I agree with everything you said, but I don't think that Herman will have it all together in the first year. I kept trying to, I kept saying that he would, and this would be, like I said, the loss over and over in my head. But the more I've looked at things, again, I drank the juice. You did. I'm throwing things on the wall, hoping they stick. I'm going with the win. I'm going with the close win, but we get our first win against FAU. We stay undefeated in the AAC as we come home for East Carolina. Yeah, and East Carolina, I had actually thought maybe this would be a loss in the spring, but the more that I have read about um, ECU, I've changed my opinion. They do have their returning quarterback, but they've lost a lot of starters on offense. Um, they're returning a lot of starters on the secondary, but they were really bad. So <laughs> I don't know that that's really an advantage for them. Um, I think this is going to be a win. Which is interesting because you said, oh, their secondary is bad. But remember, you had questions about the wide receivers, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> that's <but> hilarious. <laughs> but you hope they have it together. I get but it. But JT's going to be back by then, so it'll be okay. <laughs> Um, I, I had this as a close law, uh, close win. Sorry. Um, I had this as a 50, 50 game. I think it's going to be close. I think this, uh, this team, even though, you know, obviously I, I felt like I drank the juice and really getting UTSA up there. Uh, here's what I'm struggling with is that I think they're going to be a little banged up going into these FAU and E and ECU. So because of it, you know, I, I think we're going to see them regress a little bit to the mean, and that makes just some of these games closer. But in my mind, we still have Frank. Mm -hmm. We have Trey Moore. We have a great defensive line. Those guys will figure out how to get it done. Not to mention Oscar Cardenas, if it comes down close. ECU can't handle a pass-catching tight end. Oscar has a monster day. I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there. But it's a win. All right, which takes us back up to a familiar spot in Denton. Yeah, again, not sure what to make of this UNT team. Um, Stone Earl was named their starting quarterback, which is a bit of a surprise. Um, you know, I think Eric Morris will have the offense together. Not really sure what he's going to, you know, how good he's going to be on the defense. You know, North Texas is always a tough one, though, because it's a rivalry game. You just don't know how it's going to go. Um, but I think we are going to come through with a win this time. Our first win since 2013, huh? Yeah. In the Metroplex. As long as it doesn't rain, and then that, that makes a question mark. But I'm assuming it's going to be dry, and we're going to win. I think there was a lot of mojo to North Texas versus UTSA because of Seth Luttrell. I think Luttrell owned UTSA to a point, like, was cocky about it. And honestly, I love that. I kind of, I, looking back, I really love that about him. Like, there was always, whenever he talked about, 
UTSA, there was always this like edge that he had on the radio. Um, he talked about other opponents, and he'd be you know a little a little more effusive against UTSA. He would get very curt, and he would just be he would just keep mumbling. And I remember after the the loss last year because I wanted to hear what he had to say. He's like, "Yeah, we'll get another shot at them. Yeah, we'll get them true. again. We'll get them again." You did, and you played worse. Yeah, <laughs> but look, here's the deal. But I think I don't. I'm not sure about Eric Morris. I think that this was an interesting hire. I'm not sure that that Eric Morris brings that much more than Seth Luttrell, which is why I think even North Texas wondered, is, like, was this worth firing Luttrell for? I mean, I know I, I know what Luttrell had done, but does Eric Morris bring us over the, yeah, the top, the right? But I don't think, I just don't think he does. Again, this ain't UAW, so, you know, we're in a, you're in a different class right now. I think um, we're going to own both of the UAW former coaches. Well, here we go. <laughs> I, I do have it as a win as well. I think, you know, just looking at what uh, what UNT has done, I don't know, you know, they were a pretty good team, but I don't know that they've really elevated. Um, so it's a win, which brings us to Rice. Yeah, Rice at home, great. They have a new quarterback in JT Daniels, but I just don't know that that's enough to elevate Rice to being competitive with UTSA. I have a little more respect for Bloomgrim than I did for Dimmel. Do you? Yeah, I do. I, I don't know. There's a lot of things I have more respect for than Dimmel. I'm going to just say again, UTEP deserves better. But that's not neither here nor there. Um, Rice, it's silly to think that Rice got much better <laughs> to the point that they could actually hang with UTSA. They haven't been able to hang with UTSA the last few years. It's a win. It's a freaking easy win. Um, if we don't have... Uh, right now, I'll just say it. If we don't have one of the back the backup quarterback in <laughs> a win, most likely starts the second half, then it's just because Trailer just wants to make sure that Frank isn't rusty. It's an easy win. All right, which brings us to a Friday night game in South Florida, our last home game of the season, scheduled home game of the season. Yeah, I mean, this could be, if there's a trap game on the schedule for UTSA, it could be this game. Because, again, you have Rice at home, likely going to have a big win, you're looking forward to Tulane in this big game, Thanksgiving weekend. It's a Friday game, so you have a short week to prepare. South Florida has a new coach. Um, I believe he was the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. Alex Goldish. Yeah. yeah. He should have this team in better shape than they were last year. I mean, they only won like one or two games last year, so he will have <laughs> them in better shape than what they did last year. Um, but I think this should be a comfortable win for UTSA if we stay focused and we don't look ahead to Tulane. Otherwise, it could be closer than it needs to be. Once again, a preseason team that's picked in the teens. Um, I think he's probably going to start turning around, a goalish that is, is going to turn around this team a little more, much like Tom Herman, but probably not to the level that Tom Herman has is going to yeah. do. So... I, again, I think this is going to be an easy win, um, and I say that just based on the fact that I these you know rebuilding jobs are tough. Yeah, they're I mean, not like Trailer where he walked into a talented team, an overall talented team, and just organized it, and all of a sudden put us in position for championships. Right, like one of the stats for South Florida is that they have nine starters returning on defense, but their defense was the worst in the country. <laughs> Right, right. So, I mean, that kind of compares also to what you saw a little bit from UTSA, right, near the end of the Wilson era. Um, that doesn't mean that I think they're going to turn it around, but there was at least 
talent flowing in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't see the same. So right now, I think it's a it's an easy win, um, which brings us to New Orleans, Thanksgiving weekend, number one preseason pick, Tulane. Yeah. Um, right now, I have this as a loss. Um, Tulane is picked to be the top G5 program. For those people that haven't picked UTSA, they picked Tulane. Um, They've got a lot of returning starters. They have their quarterback back. While I'm not sure that they're going to live up to that billing of being the top G5 program, um, I do think that they're going to be competitive. They're going to be tough. And UTSA has historically played very poorly the last two Thanksgivings. So I think this is going to be a loss. And because of that, I think this may be the game that keeps UTSA out of the conference championship. Tulane lost their leading rusher from last season. Reminds me of the 2022 UTSA team Mm -hmm. that had question marks at running back. Who's going to take over for Sincere now that he's gone? They have the same thing with Tajay Spears has left for the NFL. And I think that's his last name. All of a sudden, I blinked. Um, but anyway, they do have talent still there, much like UTSA did last season. But I'm going to go back to the AAC football facts that I gave you. Out of Two out of the last six years, the number one preseason pick has gone on to go to the championship. That hasn't happened since 2021, and that was a pretty loaded Cincinnati team. Not a Cincinnati team that had the questions that this Tulane team has. Before then, it had been since 2018 that the number one team had um, preseason pick had gone on to the championship. For me, I think Tulane doesn't live up to the hype, yet still finds a way to beat UTSA on Thanksgiving weekend because of what you said. UTSA has not really brought it that well the last couple um, Thanksgiving weekends. Add to that, this is going to be an outdoor game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so remember what happened in 2021? There was rain that came, cold rain that came in in Denton, and this team did not show up. Granted, it was their first year that they were had a chance to play for the championship. This is going to be their first chance to play for the AAC championship if they put themselves in position, and I think they will. But I still think that they end up on the short end of the stick here, which means that I have them with one conference loss, which means I have the UTSA football team returning to a conference championship game. However, it is going to be in the Metroplex in Dallas against SMU, a pretty good SMU team. I think this comes down to which team doesn't try to out-athlete the other one. Um, and honestly, I hate to say it, but because of all the Metroplex problems, this is a stronger team than UNT. Mm-hmm. I see us losing our first opportunity in the AAC Conference Championship game to SMU. It will be a bitter pill to swallow, but that'll still put us in a bowl game because of all the wins that we have stacked so far and we have talked about. We're not going to say which bowl game because we have no idea. <laughs> but that would <laughs> but, be too, too hard to predict. Right. Bowl game, though, what do you see? I see us winning a bowl game because, again, I have us missing the conference championship. 
I think Frank and Rashad really want to get that bowl win. They're going to have a bitter taste from not getting into the conference championship, and I think they're going to use that to really stay focused, keep everybody on track, and I think they'll they'll come through and they'll win. I have this this team going in salty as well. But the problem and the thing we've seen over and over and over again in bowl games has been the fact that our UTSA team has been undisciplined in those games. Guys talk a little trash to our players and our players lose their heads. They're going to be salty after that two-lane game. They're going to be salty after losing to SMU. I don't think that they regain that discipline. I think they end up losing, unfortunately, sending Frank riding to the sunset with a bowl loss, never winning that bowl game. But, but, I do have them finishing, what, 10-4 and four for the season and get into a conference championship game. Yeah, I have 10-3, and three, not getting to a conference championship. So, yeah, we both, we both agree on 10 wins. How we get there, different story. All right, before we go, women's volleyball is off to a great start. They're 3-0 and to start the season. What have you seen so far from them? I see them building on top of what they've started with Coach Torek. It's similar to me like what we had with Coach Aston, uh, where she came in the first season, had a rough season because, you know, obviously hired, late in getting recruits, you know, and, the, um, and then tr- just trying to figure out what she had and then trying to then patch those holes, so to speak, and, and try to bring in more talent, get the team organized. From what I remember seeing the year before, um, the team just couldn't get many kills, right? Like, they just couldn't score points. And that, Coach Torek kept saying over and over and over again during interviews last season was, yeah, we, you know, it's great that we're we're playing good defense. We're getting, you know, we're preventing our opponents uh, from scoring a lot because we're getting a lot of digs. However, they just couldn't make the kills. And this year, I see better play from the outside hitters, which means that they're getting some kills. It means that we're scoring points. So that exhibition game against Texas State in San Marcos, yes, they lost, but it was quite competitive. Texas State really, they really looked like they had to make a lot of what looked like to me regular season type adjustments to stay up with UTSA. UTSA really got on a good roll there. Um, Just remember this team is also young. There's a because of the youth, they're going to make some mistakes. You know, it's the growing pains that come mm-hmm. with that. But I think Coach Torig has really pointed this team in a great direction. I think they're probably going to have a little struggles this year, but it's great to see them get off to a good start to at least get some confidence. You know, you what you don't want to do is you know really break some of these young players and you know make them feel like you know what are we doing right we still can't win we can't do this stuff mm-hmm. you're seeing them really come together and at the very least if they can be competitive in the AAC that should be I think enough for at least this season and then you know we could continue building from there yeah next up is the Roadrunner Classic at the Convo September 1st and 2nd they're playing Lamar and Delaware on the 1st and Tarleton State on the 2nd so if you have an opportunity <laughs> I know I wish that we you know, didn't have the conflict with football because I'd like to see them play Tarleton State, but, you know, we'll be in Houston, unfortunately. Um, one other thing, NFL roster cuts are looming. Tuesday's the deadline for the NFL teams to get down to their 53-man roster. So news should be coming out shortly about some of our former roadrunners and whether or not they're going to make that roster or a practice squad. 
Outside of starters like Spencer Burford, Tariq Woolen, and Marcus Davenport, there's speculation that either Eric Banks or Kevin Strong could make the roster for the Arizona Cardinals. Um, Leroy Watson's expected to be um, signed with the practice squad. And now that there, there is the return of Josh Jacobs to the Raiders, it's unlikely that Sincere is going to be named to the 53-man squad, but practice squad position is not out of the question. Um, and again, there's other roadrunners that, you know, may have that opportunity to make the practice squad. So stay tuned. Yeah. I mean, let's hope the best for, you know, Leroy with the Niners, you know, getting on the, that practice squad and really getting that, uh, honestly, that coaching from Shanahan. Shanahan has always done a great job of coaching up offensive linemen. So, you know, good to see him at least in that mix. Yeah. Especially since, again, this is really his second year. Yeah. Playing as an offensive lineman, yeah. you know, making that position change. So And then with Sincere, I think, you know, you always need running backs. No matter what, you need to stack up stack them up because they take so many hits and with Jacobs missing the entire training camp, you knew that he was gonna end up signing and it wasn't gonna be whatever he wanted. Um, but a lot of these running backs sometimes take a lot of time off and then get nicked up right away and then before you know it, you're calling on some backups and you're trying to get stuff. Sincere knowing that uh, playbook would probably help him at least, like you said, stay on the practice squad or potentially get called up quickly to the Raiders if they find, you know, get run into some issues. So, yep. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on the Hail Married podcast. I'm Atoves. I'm the Toves. We'll be back next week with our Houston game preview. Birds up.